Uh, that's Juliana Barwick and Healing is a Miracle, the title track. You're with Julian on the brown note and Michael Mann from Chicago, Illinois is one of America's preeminent directors, but a very sort of low-key one. And a lot of his work has become more pronounced as the years go by. Uh, his first prominent film was an excellent one called Thief. I think it was his fourth film as a director, but his first main one, uh, starring James Kahn, and it was an excellent crime thriller. And crime thrillers are one of the things that he's become synonymous with. And there's a nice juxtaposition here. Juxtaposition here juxtap- I can't say the word now. A relationship between um, what I reviewed last week, which was Sorcerer, William Friedkin's film, because I said in the review of that that I thought To Live and Die in L.A. was a Michael Mann film because of the style of it. And... There is a definite line you can draw between the French Connection, Sorcerer, and To Live and Die in L.A., which sort of begat the whole CSI world uh, of that sort of very moody, stylized uh, cop procedural. And the work of Michael Mann. After that, he did a horror film called The Keep. Uh, 1986's Manhunter was a, another film that got a lot more sort of attention as the years went by because that was the first film with Hannibal Lecter in it uh, wasn't played by Anthony Hopkins I think it was Brian was it Brian Dennehy at the time I can't remember which actor played him now um, but a very very good version of I think what they did uh, the Red Dragon film that story and that was a really good film Last of the Mohicans uh, Daniel Day-Lewis film has got more attention as the years go by Heat was the one that really put him on the map and that has continued to embody that hyper-stylized crime thriller more than any other film, I feel. Uh, it still is a wonderful film to watch. He did a low-key film with Russell Crowe called The Insider, which might be his best film. Uh, fantastic film. Um, and it's been up and down since then. He did the Muhammad Ali bi- biopic, which was not very good, called Ali. And then another film which a lot of uh, critics would say is arguably his best film, collateral with tom cruise wish tom cruise would do more movies like that uh that was absolutely magnificent and it's been up and down since then because he's done public enemies on paper this hyper stylized story of the dillinger years with johnny depp as, as dillinger the bank robber from prohibition america it should have been a masterpiece but it's virtually unwatchable there's something very weird about it where it's very difficult to focus. It's it's the opposite of compelling. You can't really pay attention to it, and I don't really know why. And he did the Chris Hemsworth film, Black Hat. I didn't know he made it. Um, it was a failure of a film. It wasn't a very good film. It was a bit cringeable about cyber warriors. Um, and I would never have known that he did that. But in between, he did the film Miami Vice, now, he, in the 80s, uh, did was the producer of a television show which broke paradigms and which became one of the most influential TV shows of all time called Miami Vice. He didn't create it, but he was the producer. And that whole aesthetic is something that is synonymous with Michael Mann's films as well. It's an incredibly influential show. There aren't many shows that influenced fashion, or that regenerated the city. Miami had been a basket case up until the 80s when it became the first place in America where 
military-grade automatic weaponry was continually used in places like shopping centres. The murder rate went through the roof. Billions of dollars of money poured into Florida through the cocaine trade of Pablo Escobar and his cronies. And it regenerated the city, but nothing more so than the outside of view of Miami Vice. Uh, they actually regenerated this whole strip on the waterfront of Art Deco buildings, which exists to this day as a tourist attraction, but it became synonymous with the outsider's view of Miami and the music and the suits and the colours. Like They never used earth tones like red or brown. They used sort of blacks and silvers. Um, and it had this sort of neon glow to it of um, this very sort of expensive cop world. Uh, and I, I did mention um, another film, and I can't remember what it was, where they, they moved away from the idea of a police procedural being about a detective knocking on doors or examining a crime scene and moving into the world of the undercover police officer and wiretaps and informants and cops driving around in very expensive sports cars pretending to be drug dealers and that was one of the events that solidified what we focus on more now with cop procedural things which is these sort of very sort of undercover police uh, operating in the same level as these multi-million dollar drug dealers and it, it's got a massive legacy and it deserves to be re-shown a bit more because I think we've kind of lost it um, and he made a version of it as a film in 2006 where Crockett and Tubbs were played by Jamie Foxx and Colin Farrell and it was a bit of a failure when it came out it cost a fortune um, and a lot of that was down to them filming in locations that were so dangerous that the police wouldn't even go into them. And Jamie Foxx actually refused to go back to a location, I think in Haiti, because there was gunfire on the set, and they had to rewrite the end of the movie because he refused to set foot in the country again. Um, and a lot of their um, usage of um, powerboats and planes were very, very dangerous. He just took risks with the actors lives and a lot of the people working on it like the film sorcerer said that it's the most dangerous film they've worked on including jamie fox uh, this uses crockett and tubbs and it starts straight in the middle of um, them being involved in a case um, they're in a nightclub about to try and um, arrest this guy that's pimping out central american women claiming they're you know uh, miss columbia and so on uh, and they're about to arrest him when they get a call from one of their CIs or one of their informants that they'd handed over to the FBI. And um, he's played by John Hawkes, who's a brilliant, brilliant actor that was very new here. He ended up being nominated for an Oscar in Winter's Bone. Um, and he's a brilliant actor that's shown up a few times in films since. He phones them up from a freeway and tells them that this, the drug deal that he set up with the FBI has gone wrong. He had to; his wife's been kidnapped, and he had to tell the criminals every who are a bunch of white supremacists. He had to tell them everything, and we see the FBI get gunned down. All this happens in a frenetic opening, and from that point on, Crockett and Tubbs are roped in to try and find out who the leak is from. And because it's a count, it's a an interdepartment task force which uses this like the CIA the National Security Organization, the FBI, 
because they're the ones that aren't known by any of these organisations, they then go undercover to take over this transferal of cocaine from places like Haiti, from Colombia through the Caribbean into Florida on powerboats. And they set themselves up as these guys that are capable of transferring it on these high-speed boats and getting the cocaine into America. And once they're there, they find out that the people they're dealing with are huge. Like There's a much bigger organisation going on behind the whole thing. And instead of just finding out who the leak is in their departments, they want to basically try and track down this major operator in Colombia, like Sosa in the film Scarface. He's you know, a billionaire coke dealer who's involved in trafficking weapons and contraband and counterfeit goods. And it spans from Colombia through Paraguay, through the Caribbean. We get um, Haiti, we get um, Cuba, and into the Florida Keys and up into Miami. And it has this whole sort of panoramic of them trying to embed themselves into this large criminal organization. Now... When it came out, it was a bit of a flop. Um, it certainly would have just about made its money back. It cost a fortune due to um, hurricanes, due to uh, a lot of problems with the areas they were filming in. Um, it went massively over budget. And it was sort of not very well regarded. The um, The performances of Colin Farrell and, um, what's his name, Jamie Foxx, weren't sort of held up as being as iconic or as charismatic as Crockett and Tubbs in the original. Um, Don Johnson, famously playing Crockett, was replaced by Colin Farrell, and they were deemed a bit empty, and the whole story was deemed a bit weak, the narrative. But since then, it's grown as a cult film, and the reason is, if you like a movie like Drive, the dreamy aesthetic, the very beautiful-looking, sounding and where almost dialogue fades into the background while you're just watching things that are aesthetically beautiful and very pleasing on the eye and very moody happen. And I've watched it for the first time recently, and I saw it a couple of times, and I can attest to that because I think I enjoyed it the second time because the narrative is pretty weak. Um, There isn't a lot to it. The main part about it is Gong Li, who's, for Michael Mann, an unusually developed female character. He's not very good at female characters, and you hardly see them in his films. She plays the partner of the Colombian drug lord, who's both his lover and also a business person who's very much involved in... um, being very matter-of-fact about these huge operations and organising things from a financial standpoint. Her and, and Crockett, the Colin Farrell character, have an affair, which ends up being very destructive for all concerned, particularly her. So we followed them from infiltrating this massive organisation and rising up through its ranks as their couriers into America, to them kind of being found out by... Uh, just have a look to see what his name is because he's the guy that turns up in i can't believe oh lewis tozer who you would know from fast and furious four he's the drug lord in that one that pretends not to be himself um and he's very good in that not very good film but he's good in that and he's better here he's really good he's a middleman 
who presents himself as a drug lord, but he's really operating at the behest of this much more powerful entity. He doesn't like them from the offset, and he basically states that he thinks they're wrong-uns, whilst the uh, character played by Gong Li is fallen for uh, for Crockett and, and tries to make out that they're actually all right. So it all comes to a head and lots of standoffs and um he's right they're not they are wrong and they aren't they aren't who they say they are um there's very little plot here very little uh, narrative that's particularly strong it's a narrative you could probably get away with in an episode of miami vice and that's a failing of the film uh also the fact that although they're pretty decent jamie fox and Coraline farrell are a pr- are quite empty in this there's there's not much to them I like the relationship between Gong Li and Colin Farrell. At least it had an air of truth and at least it added something to the story rather than her being this meek gangster's mole. She was actually a very powerfully written character and one of the high points of of the film. Looks-wise, it is amazing. It is stunningly looking film. He didn't want to go back to the Miami Vice TV show and I think that was a mistake. So he avoided all of the music, the iconic music, and that's a shame because there's a pivotal shootout towards the end that uses a cover version of Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight. Now that featured on the pilot episode of the TV show Miami Vice and even though it's a cover, it really stands out as moodily perfect for the moment. Um, it's, it's a film that has a lot of very high-tech guns and hardware and cars, lots of powerboats and planes stunning location footage from places like uh, Paraguay where you don't often see in the films Colombia is beautifully rendered in these vivid greens the cinematography is spectacular you get lots of boats and planes and you get um, some really disturbing footage of places like Haiti where there are people going through a whole city that seems to be going through styrofoam boxes collecting it as tramps would to sell I guess Um, So some very interesting location footage. Um, And the main characters are okay. Naomi Harris, who turns up as Miss Moneypenny in the most recent James Bond films, I've given her a bit of stick for being really rubbish as Miss Moneypenny. Very bland, pretty amateurish. She actually shows up here as uh, probably the second female lead character. She's uh, Tubbs' girlfriend, and she's also working for the Miami dade police department and she's the one that sets up their cover she's very good in this film actually um but much better than i think she's been in the james bond films so it's a it's a very interesting film because it's so aesthetic it's um it's not got the narrative it hasn't got so much the characters i think they thought the one um the guy that plays lewis uh, Archangel de Jesus Montoya is that him whoever the guy is that plays the middleman I thought he was very very good um, and everyone else is a little bit background but not bad not clumsy uh, they do a reasonable job sometimes they feel like they're doing an impersonation though I felt that they I felt James Franco was just James Franco uh, Jamie Foxx was being himself a bit too much and Colin Farrell was trying to be Don Johnson a little bit too much I thought they could have done a bit more with those roles and the narrative itself is slight but as an aesthetic piece of filmmaking it is stunning 
and it's the kind of film you just watch if you like the movie Drive or films like that or films like Heat and those both those films have a much stronger narrative and much stronger individual characters than this film this film falls down in those areas but it's the kind of film you can re-watch um, and it's very unusual it's it's almost like an anathema to the bad boys movies because it's very that whole bad boys thing of um, will smith driving around in his fast car in miami is obviously from miami vice um, um but that's a very frenetic in your face sassy kind of environment whereas this is very classy low-key moody um i think critics are saying you can't really understand what they're saying half the time because of the dialogue's almost lost and it doesn't really matter uh, it's much more a film to let wash over you so it's a really interesting take on that whole bad boys kind of movie in that it's very opposite to a lot of what those films try to offer uh, it looks really really good if you like your high-tech weaponry there's plenty of that on display here um, and I, I think it's a film that, that, that improves like wine. It's the, the more you watch it, the less focused you are on its weak narrative or weak individual characters and the more you are on its overall mood. So I think Miami Vice is worth an 8 out of 10, uh, which isn't a massive score for a, a near-modern classic because the narrative and the characters aren't very good. But overall it survives as a document that is unusual in in filmmaking i can't believe they ever got away with making such a low-key moody film for such a vast sum of money but it does look great it really does so miami vice eight out of ten how much time have i got i'll try well i'll get through at least 